Welcome to the Decipher Podcast. It's my pleasure to welcome back Mark Weremeyer and Bryce Curley for our second annual um, podcast on the Hackensack competition, which these guys help run. How's everything going today, boys? Pretty good. Pretty good. Had a nice espresso, had a nice walk, got to look at the water. Nice morning. Wow. It's a good day so far. Jeez. You're killing it, Bryce. Hey, thanks for having us back, Dennis. <laughs> yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm happy to do it. I really enjoyed the one last year. So um, I'm looking forward to this. And I think it's cool because this is a really unique capture the flag competition. It's not, I mean, I don't want to, you know, speak ill of other CTFs, but I mean, there is sort of a, a template for, you know, typical CTFs. Um, you know, you get a bunch of objectives, they're on computers, you try and go get them. This is not that, although, you know, there are computers, but they're, in the past, they've been flying around the atmosphere on actual satellites. <laughs> That's not actually the case this year. We'll talk about that. Um, but for maybe for people that aren't familiar with the Hackensack competition, uh, Mark, if you want to, can you just give us like a little bit of background, like how this started and, and um, what the goals were at the beginning? Sure. So, um, so we're on Hackensack three this year, and so initially starting with Hackensack, the the idea and still the intent today is to bring together the aerospace communities and the cyberspace uh, communities, bring together the hackers all into one group and try and encourage um, some sharing among those and some learning. So um, try and bring aerospace and satellite concepts into the sort of the DEF CON and, and the hacker communities, let them get to play around with those things um, and then make a fun competition around that to sort of encourage those groups to come together. Was there, when this first started, this is only the third year, what was the initial response like from the, the hacker and researcher community? Was there more people than you expected, fewer, like kind of about the same? Um, so I came in on Hackensack um, in the second year. And uh, from, from what I can tell, there's just a lot of sort of what you're saying, like this is a unique CTF. This is, this is kind of special and different from what we've seen in, um, in traditional CTFs, so like last year we had the flat sats, and in Hexat One we also we had these flat sats on this rotating carousel, and they were on like an air bearing, and they had a reaction wheel on them, and you would try and turn them. So there's this uh, big hardware element to the game, and then we again had that hardware element um, in Hexat Two, where we had a flat sat with four different subsystems on it: a power board, an ADCS board, um, a comms board, and a command and data handling board. And then this year, um, now we have gone all to digital twin, but um, so basically we we're, we're have eight digital twins for, for the teams to compete on with all the flight software running in there. But then this high fidelity simulation in the background where we can do all sorts of cool things like um, simulate the RF links between those uh, spacecraft, which is kind of hard to do with um, like the flat sets that we had sitting on a bench top last year where they're all, all their antennas are always in view of each other. Um, so we're so from our perspective, we're trying to bring a lot of that realism into what it's like to actually um, command and control a spacecraft and try and protect it. What has impressed me a lot from the uh, reaction to it from the uh, you know hacking and CTF community has been like a recurring story from many teams where that first Hackasat one, they're like, oh, we need to find like our you know space nerd friends and like you know get them in on this. Does anybody have like a radio license? And that's been really really cool to watch. 
Yeah, it is like an interesting uh, mix of skill sets that are required for this kind of thing. It's not just, you know, knowledge of Windows internals or Unix or something along those lines. There's some, you know, proprietary OSs. There's weird, you know, like you said, there's radio links, things that, you know, a typical computer hacker who grew up in the last 20 years may not necessarily have gotten their gotten their hands on before this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so and so just like and we kind of we try and um, lay that out when we do our quals events also. So we'll divide uh, quals up into different categories. So we'll have um, the satellite operations category, the space map category. Uh, we have to do with, deal with all the orbital mechanics and um, and quaternion pointing. And then we'll have the reverse engineering and then we'll have an RF category, crypto category. So, re so really, we have this broad range and we kind of we kind of. Uh, show that off in the in the quals event and then for the finals event uh, we kind of bring that all together you know you get to see how those are all important aspects of, of commanding controlling or doing any sort of satellite operations okay so the the quals went on earlier this summer right yeah so we did quals um a, a few months ago we had uh, i believe it was like 800 some teams participating and then we take the top eight teams from that quals event and they are going on to finals in october 22nd of this year wow 800 holy crap so you have to be in the top one percent to get into the finals that's a pretty that's a pretty high bar yeah the uh the, the teams are working really hard during uh that quals event and, and yeah it's it's very competitive um and, you, and it's actually really fun to watch that especially as it gets closer near the end just watching the teams uh, you know, as they're about to overtake each other, you know, the points are, they're really pushing hard. Uh, and we had some good challenges this year uh, that teams were working, you know, to the last minute. It, it was, a, um, it was a 24 hour, um, or I think it was actually more than 30 hours. hours. Yeah, 30 <laughs> hours. And, um, and yeah, they were working the, the whole time up to the last minute trying to solve challenges. We even had a couple that, uh, that didn't end up getting solved. Um, they were just really difficult and there maybe wasn't enough time when they release, but uh, we kept them busy the, the whole time up until uh, until the finish line. Yeah, that's a long, I mean, 30 hours of nonstop work on that kind of, those kind of problems is a pretty brutal, um, brutal stretch. Um, Bryce, what are the typical, I don't know if there is such a thing as a typical challenge, but could you describe a few of the challenges that, that the teams had to go through this year to make the finals? Absolutely. Uh, so uh, I worked on three different quals challenges, kind of a series uh, in the uh, reverse engineering category, where we started off with a challenge called small hashes anyways. Uh, teams got a uh, microblaze, uh, it's a different CPU architecture binary, and had to script running it in QMU to figure out what the uh, CRC32s embedded in the binary were, you know, checking. And once they figured out the string that matched these, you know, small hashes all the way through, that was their uh, flag that they scored. Uh, that was a fun one. That was based on a, a challenge from the uh, the Shaw 2017 uh, CTF run by Einbosen. Okay. Uh, I was actually on site for that one in the Netherlands, which was pretty fun. Uh, but after that, it kind of changed tones to where teams had to actually algebraically solve some uh, stuff deep inside a binary. First, they had to solve one in a challenge called Ominous Etude. And then for Blazing Etudes, I gave them like 189 or something and they had to script solving them. Uh, and that one was really fun because I got to, you know, teach teams about like, you know, you can do this once by hand. You really, really need to learn how to automate this. And especially yeah. you need to learn how to like work with your tools and trust your tools 
figure out which, like the uh, the Binary Ninja plugin that several teams used had some bugs in it that, that multiple teams ended up having to fix and work around. Uh, the write-ups for that one were really, really entertaining to read. Uh, Mark, do you remember some of the other challenges from different categories? Yeah, so um, so in the space math side, we had one where uh, basically there was, um, and this we actually were inspired from an event earlier this year where there was a rogue rocket booster. Um, and they, at first they thought it was a SpaceX booster, and then later they, they started thinking maybe <laughs> it was a rogue Chinese booster. But basically um, from some previous mission, this booster was on a collision course with the moon. And uh, we, so we thought, oh, we, this would be a really fun challenge to make out of this. So basically, um, we changed uh, the idea of where uh, basically the teams would have some control of this booster and they should, they would be able to um, give it some maneuver commands and they had to bring it, instead of crashing it into the moon, they had to rescue the booster and bring it to the, the L4 Earth moon <laughs> Lagrange point and just park it there. Um, so the teams <laughs> had to basically go through all of this space math and then we had some hints in there about using uh, NASA's GMAT software which would really help you um, come up with what that maneuver should be to achieve you know whatever those trajectories are and, and achieve the L4 uh, parking orbit um, but uh, but yeah that one that was, was one of the ones fun. where you had to where, where if teams like omitted the sun from their uh, gravity calculations they would get a uh, an answer that instead of parking at the Lagrange point would uh, do a litho breaking maneuver on the moon, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there were some pieces of that. So, like, we kind of try and start off the the space math challenges, you know, with uh, at a simpler level. So, like, two body mechanics, Keplerian orbits. But then this one, we brought it up a notch. Where all right, you can't use those two body assumptions anymore. You have to bring in the sun's gravity, Earth's gravity, Moon's gravity, and I and I think you could do it with those three gravity bodies, um, but uh, but yeah, if you just had Earth Moon. <laughs> this is the kind of stuff Earth. that just like sort of makes my brain hurt thinking about all those all those variables and all the kind of uh, you know things that they have to bring in to just that's just one challenge you you mentioned that's that's not like the whole thing that's one challenge. Yep, that's that's a single challenge. It was definitely one of the one of the harder ones. I think that might have been the top of the uh, yeah. That seems kind of hard. Space math um, do you guys get any input from you know NASA or the Air Force, the Space Force, or whoever on any of these challenges? Um, when we are brainstorming challenges, we we definitely um, show them uh, with, with our customer, with the Air Force and Space Force, um, and so and we try and bounce ideas off too when we do this initial. Uh, brainstorming session on what challenges we're, we're trying to put together so that there definitely is some some feedback loop there where we're, we're trying to come up with challenges that are interesting and and are also relevant um and you know are, are just going to be fun or, or concepts that we want you know people to to try and wrap their heads around that makes sense i mean it it, it would be fun to just devise sort of like insanely hard devious challenges but it, it would also make sense to create ones that might have some real world applications and try and solve hard problems that, you know, you might have to actually solve in a, in a real world situation. Right. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing about really hard challenges is you run the risk of them not being solved. Yeah. Uh, like the value of these challenges isn't to, you know, just completely, you know, destroy every team and like keep <laughs> them from being solved. I consider at some level, that's a, a failed or a wasted challenge. Yeah. And instead what we need the challenges to yeah. do 
especially the you know higher difficulty later in the game challenges, is to separate the teams that are going to do well in finals from the teams that uh, may not have a lot of fun in finals. Mm-hmm. And you know if a challenge is you know solvable by eight teams and like the rest of the field doesn't get it, that's a very very successful challenge I think. Yeah, it would be fun to watch a bunch of smart people get frustrated with something that you created, but at the same time, like if if it's really not ultimately solvable, that is, like you said, Bryce, probably just a waste of time. Yeah. Um, do you have you guys ever run into the situation where the teams have found you know mistakes or bugs in the challenges that you've put together, where they're like, "Wait, what is this? Are you, are you sure you guys meant this and not that?" Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, we have. Uh, I think in year two, we had some quals challenges where the uh, data files that we provided to teams were different from the ones running on the uh, challenge like systems online. And like there's like few things in CTF make me feel worse than, you know, having to post a message. It's like uh, we've uploaded the correct file. So now the challenge is actually solvable. It, it just feels terrible that you made a bunch of people like like I don't like an adversarial relationship with the uh, you know players in the game, yeah. uh, and you know doing something like that it it feels bad. It feels really bad. I would think so. I mean, it's on a much lesser yeah. level. It's like you know when I've written something, you go and you see a typo, and you're just like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I can fix that easily, but you know something like this where there's 800 players, you know, that have already spent time trying to fix a problem, and then you're like, oh, just kidding. That problem doesn't actually work. Um, what? Yeah, definitely like to with uh, try and avoid those. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember that challenge, Bryce. That was the uh, the star catalog, yeah. the star tracker challenge, where uh, basically we had given the teams a star catalog, and they had to uh, figure out where oh, they were cool. looking in this uh, star field. Um, we gave them the wrong star catalog, um, so. Yeah, it was. There was no. That would be incredibly frustrating because that's not hard enough as it is. Like just looking at a star field and being like, "Okay, I think it's this," then you realize you're like, "Oh no, it's it's not actually anything." You you can't be right. (laughs) What was actually really interesting about that situation is teams tried so hard to solve it. They came up with all these crazy tools and were posting all after. when when quals ends, they'll, a lot of teams will start talking about their solutions, and teams were posting all of these crazy visualizations and tools that they had been coming up with for that challenge to try and solve the unsolvable challenge until it you know became solvable. Uh, but uh, yeah, they came up with all these this really interesting uh, visualizations and tools to, to yeah. The flip mode about out. some of these challenges, like it, it is like rough to see you know the players struggling on something that's fundamentally not solvable, but. At the same time, if somebody does, like, uh, an acquaintance of mine, Avi, after a CTF, he was talking about a solution, and he used the phrase, a number theory O-day, <laughs> to describe his solution to a, uh, like, I think a crypto challenge. And I was like, okay, that's cool that you did that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, if he's, like, inventing new math while he's doing a capture, the <laughs> that's pretty wild. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, what are the, what's the makeup, I don't know if there is such a thing as a typical team, but... I mean, I know there's some university teams involved and there's, you know, pro teams or whatever, but is there, what's the general demographics of, of the teams like in the, in the competition these days? So, um, 
so I've seen, uh, so we've had um, college students playing definitely. Um, so like Dice Gang was, uh, was, a, was one of the top teams last year. And, um, but also we've got uh, professionals. So there's a mix of aerospace um, and, and cybersecurity professionals, even uh, professors on some teams. Um, and, uh, and even one of the teams uh, ended up actually, maybe you remember which team this was, Bryce, ended up uh, actually partnering up with their, lo some, their local space agency and got some engineers from like that space agency to join their traditionally hacker or cybersecurity uh, uh, skill set. Um, so that was, that was actually, you know, that's like a success story for kind of the, the intent of Hackathon is actually, you know, we did bring some of the, these communities together, um, they were kind of, you know, encouraged to do so, so they'd be able to solve. Would, would that have been Flux Repeat Rocket or Poland Ken into space or like a U.S. space team? It was definitely a, a European uh, team. They had, they had, man, I, I think it was actually maybe like the, the uh, um, a German so team, so flux repeat yeah. or a welt olives um, yeah yeah i think so. that's pretty cool i like that sort of spirit of cooperation because you know hackers haven't always had the best relationship with government agencies over the years so uh you know it's nice to see um that coming back that's cool um um so how much, I, we talked a little bit about the, you know, uh, you guys getting some input from NASA and, and, you know, some of the government agency sponsors for the, the challenges. How closely do they pay attention to the competition itself and what the results are and, you know, the processes that, that teams use to, to um, solve those challenges? I actually, I, I'm not sure um, so, so like how much an agency like NASA may or may not be uh, following what we're doing. Um, I, I don't know, Bryce, any thoughts there? I, I don't necessarily have a super good answer for this one. Um, I, I think some of the things that we pay attention to is, you know, teams that do well submit write-ups. Um, and I enjoy reading the write-ups and seeing the processes for, uh, you know, team solving challenges. I don't know how much anybody else necessarily pays attention to them. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of information coming out of there, I'm sure. But um, what's the, what are the differences between this year's competition and say, you know, last year's, I don't know how much it's changed over that time. I mean, it's only a couple years old, but how much has it evolved? So, um, so this year we have moved to digital twins. Um, and basically that's going to enable us to do a lot more interesting things as, as far as um, the RF links between the spacecraft. Um, it, uh, it does, so it's taking the hardware element out of it that we had last year with the, um, with the flat sats and their four subsystem boards. Um, but, uh, but migrating that digital twin gives us that extra um, capability to do some more interesting physics around the RF link. So like when a, um, when a spacecraft goes out of view of a ground station, for example, we can actually, you know, simulate that in the RF link that um, that the spacecraft is receiving or downlinking. Um, whereas last year we had, you know, a ground station in the middle of uh, surrounded by eight flat sats, and you know, unless someone walked in between <laughs> the the ground station and the flat sats, you know, the, those signals were, were pretty much we're going to reach that ground station and, and vice versa. Um, so that is a, is a nice change um, 
for us. And as part of the migration too, we also um, were able to bring in some uh, some better physics simulation tools, uh, which we're putting to good use. Um, and then uh, also each year we like to uh, switch up as far as the architectures that we're using. Uh, so at DEF CON this year, we were doing a lot of advertising that we've moved to the RISC-V processor mm -hmm. for this year's finals. Whereas um, last year we were using um, Leon 3. Um, and so, um, so yeah, so, so, I mean, those are some of the, the migrations that, that we're doing, which um, will allow us to have a more interesting game in, in terms of, you know, having multiple ground stations or, or satellites talking to each other or to other ground stations. I, I think this year we are trying to get a, you know, better stuff. focus on actually competing with each other. Uh, in previous years, there's been a, like, retrospectively, a lot of maybe too much emphasis on just keeping the satellite operating, <laughs> keeping the batteries charged, that kind of thing. And, you know, one of the things that we really try and do, because, like, the opportunity to run and give teams an attack defense CTF is really, really huge, is make it more of a head-to-head -head thing. You know, whenever the players are out there, they're <laughs> actually, like, you know, competing with somebody else, like, you know, doing yeah. not quite a duel, but like a, you know, free-for-all match where they're trying to figure out, you know, do we try and steal flags from, you know, Team A in a way that may give them, you know, a leg up on attacking other teams, or do we only attack teams that we think won't fight back? There's a lot of interesting gameplay dynamics to an attack-defense CTF that, you know, we really need to work on emphasizing a lot more. Yeah. I think of it as, you know, similar to playing, you know, against, you know, AI opponents in a video game versus, you know, playing against actual people. Yeah, and, and one of the pieces of feedback we received last year that, that really stuck with me is one of the teams was, was basically asking for the, you know, more attack defense style um, challenges. And they're like, even if we get honed by another team, we, it would be fun for us just to see, you know, what they were doing on our spacecraft. And so even, you know, the teams just want to get attacked just so that, you know, so they can, you know, learn more stuff or, or have a more, you know, a challenge too. So, Right. Yeah, that's cool. So you mentioned um, that the, the finals are in October. Is Can you um, tell us a little bit about what's coming in that? Or I don't know how much you want to reveal. The players probably, you know, know what they're, all they're going to know at this point. So um, what we showed off at DEF CON, we had brought our uh, an actual the digital twin version um, for, for demonstration purposes there. <laughs> and basically we had shown off that we were using um, Basilisk in there for a lot of our physics simulation. And we were feeding that into uh, some things like cesium for, for 3D visualization and then feeding uh, that simulation data into um, our flight software, which was composed of RISC-V emulated uh, in QMU. And then we had put uh, Linux on LightTex yes. on top of that with um, NASA's core flight system on top of that. And then our custom flight software in there. So we showed off all of that um, at DEF CON. Um, and then as well, we migrated to Cosmos 5, which is, has a nice browser-based interface um, versus what the teams were using previously um, on uh, last year's Cosmos. Um, and so, so yeah, so we've kind of, we're willing to, to share and show that information. And then we didn't release any specifics on, on what the challenge is. Yeah, you don't want to give them too much of a head start. Makes sense. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks so much for coming on and doing this again. I really appreciate it. It's uh, like I said, it's one that I look forward to. I think this is one of the coolest competitions there is because space is cool. 
and this stuff is cool. So, um, Mark and Bryce, thanks so much for coming back on. Yeah, thanks a lot, Dennis. Well, you were